And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Hey, you ready to do some uh, some crimes against humanity? I've not done any in a while, unless you count <laughs> all of the bits we do on this podcast. In which case, I do those frequently. Yeah, that's a weekly crime uh, against our listeners, but uh, <laughs> s- some of them must enjoy it. You know, I don't know. Must they? I don't. <laughs> I enjoy it. And this is my podcast. So in your podcast, it's our podcast. I'm sorry for being, you know, I'm a possessive person. That's it's just okay. my personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like we don't have any bits this week, um, but we, we do have a theme. We do. And it's a theme I feel like we've done before. We've but... done it like twice before. And yet <laughs> it's weird that there continues to be opportunities to do it more. That's right. Uh, this week we are talking yet again. About Beast doing bad things. He does so many bad things in this. <laughs> They're bad things. Like, we joke about, yeah, Beast, you've done, like, five genocides. <laughs> it's only because he's done, like, legitimately five or six intentional mass murder events. It's it's true. It's just casual for him It's at a certain point. And, and he, has oh, he a, feels guilty about it, though. Well... Yes, but gosh darn it, we have some enablers, don't we? Yeah, like Captain America. <laughs> like Captain America. We're, we're going to find out today. So we uh, we are back to this, and it, it always makes me laugh when, when people on social media, uh, or what remains of it, um, wish that Beast would not be the Beast he is today under Benjamin Percy. And it always makes me laugh, because all I want is darker, eviler, more crazy beasts. Like just, just give it to me, please. <laughs> Sorry guys. Beast is interesting. I liked the cartoon somewhat too, but uh, like, I don't know. Adam, have you read Wolverine yet? The latest issue of Wolverine? No, I read the last issue that ended with uh with, spoiler with alert for Beast bidding to murder Logan. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to read it, but I haven't gotten it to it yet. Spoiler alert. He wins that bet. <laughs> I, I assumed if Percy was writing it, he would uh, follow it's through on a, the promise. It's a wild story that Benjamin Percy is doing with Beast, and I'm here for it. We are not talking about Benjamin Percy doing anything with Beast this time. No, uh, but we are going to start with uh, an interesting selection that was requested by whom? Um, it was requested by Robert Masella or Maseja. I I I. Don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce that with like a you know, double L's or, okay. or an L. Robert, we love you either way. Thank you, Robert. Oh, we're talking about Beast War Crimes. Do you know why Do you know why we get to talk about this because of Robert? Well, because of our uh, lovely Patreon patrons. Yeah, Robert's a Patreon patron. Uh, went on over there to patreon.com slash comicsxf, reached deep down into his hearts and his pocketbooks, threw a couple of coins into our coffers, said, folks, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I've put out some really stellar content this week. I, I would like to say so for myself. Uh, just an A-plus week for me personally. Speaking about crimes against humanity, uh, Zach, you did rank 450 so-called Marvel movies this week on Comics XF. And if people missed- All movies that Marvel has published comic books uh, featuring those characters in officially licensed capacities. That's right. So, folks, if you missed that, go check that out on ComicsXF.com. I forgot Akira. And I'm pretty upset about that one. I also forgot uh, which Beatles movie was it. It wasn't Hard Day's Night. Uh, it was uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm. Which, to be fair, I don't think of that as like a Beatles movie per se, because it came out after the band broke up. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think of the Beatles movies as Hard Day's Night, Help, mm-hmm. uh, Yellow Submarine, and Let It Be. Yeah, the Let It Be is really more of a weird documentary about the downfall of the band, but it's not supposed to be about the downfall of the band. It's a whole thing, you know. And I try to think about the Beatles as as uh, little as possible. So, <laughs> well, you're insane. They they had the largest impact on American music from a pop culture standpoint. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, of any group, mm-hmm. I would say. Yes, I I still don't like them. Um, That's a weird thing. 
No, it's not. It's weird to not like the Beatles, Adam. It's not weird to dislike individual members of the Beatles, or in fact, every individual member of the Beatles. Not just shrugging. Don't. I've never liked their music, and I never will. It's okay. We're not doing this right now. Um, it's okay. I also put out a great interview with Alex Packnadel. Uh, you should <laughs> yes. go read that. Actually, that one was really good. <laughs> go check out Packnadel's new book, All Against All. And the stuff that Packnadal is doing on Marvel Unlimited, uh, there was a Halloween story that was spooky. Yeah. So we're going to start with something that's a little spooky. This is basically what happened with Astonishing X-Men after Whedon and Cassidy are no longer doing the book. They decided, I guess we'll keep going with this title. It was an incredibly popular title. Right. And they put, at the time, an A-list creative team on this. Uh, yes. It's Warren Ellis and Simone Bianchi. Simone, who uh, is is you know an Italian comic artist, uh, you know pretty popular over there, and has done some Marvel work. Um, I don't know if this is the first time Simone did X Men, though. No, his first Marvel work was in Wolverine. Wolverine. Okay, okay. I didn't know if that came first. Yeah, um, no, he did. He did the Wolverine stuff before this because this is technically tying into the Manifest Destiny era, which, man, Marvel. It was 2008. I know we weren't, like, all the way there. I feel like we were turning around on the concept of Manifest Destiny by that point. <laughs> you mean as, as a term that we maybe shouldn't be using as, a you know, an advertising premise? But Yeah, I understand. Oh, look, the X-Men are going west. Guys, let's take five seconds here and remember <laughs> what... The specific doctrine of Manifest Destiny was and how it was used to do genocides. It's okay. Uh, it's all in uh, the past there. But uh, we are getting a... This is five issues? This is 25? Six issues. It's six oh, issues, right. 25 to 30. I can count. Same same format as the We Didn't Cast Today run. It's a weird one, Yeah, this is I want to say. Ghost Box. Yeah. Uh, Ellis, I've said it before. I believe I've said it before on this podcast. I'm pretty sure Ellis is, regardless of anything else about him personally, probably the most talented writer to do the worst chunk of X-Men. Like, all of his stuff's bad. Brian K. Vaughn's up there in most talented writer to do bad X-Men. He's at least done some good X-Men. I would say this is coming closer to okay, but... It's a you real, like this story more than me, which is very surprising. Well, let, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it because I, I tried to go into this with as open a mind as possible. Had you not read this before? I had not. I've never touched oh. Astonishing after uh, Whedon and Cassidy. Oh, you should read the Marjorie Lou stuff. That stuff's good. I've read some of that. Skip the Daniel Way stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds like good advice. So. We are still with uh, the majority of the quote-unquote astonishing team here. Um, no Kitty, no Colossus, uh, because Kitty's in a bullet. And uh, what's Colossus doing? Weeping somewhere? Yeah, he's he's getting it. Yeah, he he's is. Sad. Warren Ellis has already been like, I was already saddled with Colossus once. I'm not <laughs> doing it again. Uh, so we've got Beast. We've got Emma. We've got Cyclops. Uh, we have Armor and Wolverine, and we are joined by Mrs. Black Panther herself, Aurora Monroe, for this arc. Um, it's Aurora Akide T'Challa, actually. Yes. A point she makes very, very clear. It does immediately feel like Storm is on loan to this X-Men book, which is a weird thing because she's Storm and this is the X-Men. <laughs> it yes. does feel like she is not welcome in this X-Men book. And again, she is Storm. Well, everybody does smile when she comes in, but she's treated as a as an outsider, which is very strange. As is the, the plot of this, which um, involves them finding what are mutants, but they can't be mutants because of M-Day and the 198. So what are they? Where did they come from? And... Turns out that we have some interdimensional uh, interlopers thanks to the insanity of Forge. Okay, that's simplifying this a bunch. See, here's the thing, Adam. <laughs> I did, it I turns out a lot of steps there's, there's a secret war uh, yes. between two different brands of not mutants. Mm -hmm. One is the interdimensional interlopers uh, who are the, how do they call them? The, the triploid mutants where they have Three DNA something, something, something. And then there's the 13s, which are ones that have the X 
gene on their 13th chromosome and not on their 23rd chromosome. Sure. I know Warren Ellis doesn't know biology very well, but <laughs> Warren Ellis loves technology words. <laughs> well, there is a lot of it here. And the way in which these um, other mutants, in interdimensional mutants are traveling onto our planet is through something called a ghost box. Which is just a teleporter. Yeah. It's they got make a it seem name. like a big name. Yeah, Ghost Box is a great name. <laughs> Ghost Box, fantastic name for a book. But it is just, a, like, they talk about it like it's this big mystery. It's like, oh, guys, it's a teleporter. You have done teleporters so much. Yeah. That's all this is here. Yep. Um, and, and along the way, they also run into a hidden five-mile patch in China that apparently had a version of Tian. Um, this is the, uh, this is the first appearance of Tian. We've never seen Tian before. This and... is where the Heavenly City is first introduced to X Men continuity. It will then be used wildly as new Tian in Jonathan Hickman's what Ultimate. Is it? Ultimate Comic Ultimates, right. uh, and then as new Tian when mutants took over California. So weird. So weird. So uh, part of that collapsed when a, a mutant who was responsible for holding part of it up died on M day. And, uh, boy, oh boy. It's just, I will say this, it's very overly complicated. There is no reason for this to be, uh, as convoluted as it is to get to the final conclusion, which is that forge, uh, is really messed up here like far more crazy than we've ever seen forged before. This and, is weird to me, right? It does feel out of character. They are describing him as if he is like the village madman. And he comes out as this like evil scientist. Let's take this in context of the publishing line. This is in the manifest destiny era, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the story directly preceding manifest destiny Messiah complex? Hey, you remember how one of the largest subplots in Messiah complex is Forge using his time machine to send Jamie Madrox into the future or whatever? Yeah. And Forge is like fairly chill during this whole thing? Do remember that, yes. It makes it weird how four issues into this, they start talking about Forge just out of nowhere. He's not, not set up through the rest of this arc. And then they're like, yeah, where is Forge? We haven't seen him since like the 80s. And I'm like, <laughs> Warren, I know you didn't read anything else because that's what Warren Ellis does when he gets on a superhero comic. But this was like just the last big thing. Like you feel like you'd get the bullet points or they would hand the trays like, you don't have to read anything else. Read this one. Right. You're fine. Yeah. It does. I think there's a mention to Forge's interactions with Mystique in like the early 90s. But that you're right. Everything in between doesn't seem like he's really uh, on board for. And Forge is basically like, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to save the world by having these guys I created go fight these guys that are invading. And it, it's, it's such a convoluted plot. Yes. It's, it's quite unnecessary. So we, I, it's kind of a false alarm for a second. I was like, oh, this is a forge does a bad thing story, but wait, beast does still get to do a truly abhorrent thing. Very last second of all this beast yes. has been talking the whole time with his girlfriend, Abigail brand. Yes. The difference between Abigail brand and beast, by the way, because Abigail brand actually does more war crimes than beast. She's just open about it. And like, <laughs> right. she, she knows what she is. So she is fun where beast is frustrating because he is pompous and believes he's doing everything for the greater good. This is also why when everyone's like, oh yeah, Beast is just like Dark Beast now. It's like, no, he's not. Dark Beast is an evil man for evil's sake who is very selfish. Beast is defined by hubris. That has been his defining characteristic since he turned himself blue and furry. He still thinks he's doing the right thing as well. He thinks he's the smartest man in the room. That's the number one difference between him and Dark Beast. <sighs> Anyway, so, they Beast does send, with the help of Abigail Brand, Beast does send the power of like four suns into this planet that was already dying and just absolutely destroys at least one planet. Yep. It, it, he does a genocide. Uh, and Abigail is, you know, pointing this this crazy gun at this ghost box. And as soon as they fly away, Beast is like, all right, go ahead, take the shot. <laughs> he said, hold on, Abby, Abby, you're going to miss. Here's how you get it directly into the hole. Yes. 
Here, here. Can you track Armor's cell phone? Hey, Armor, you teenage girl, I'm going to take your cell phone. Throws it in the hole. And it's like, okay, just shoot it right here. Right. Get that GPS uh, location right there. And ba ba boom. Um, we have kills Forge. It does seem to kill for, I mean, how would he Forge, have Forge, Forge ends up surviving. Of course. And Dennis Hopeless's uh, Cable and X-Force that, which spends its last arc being like, oh, great, we got to fix Forge. <laughs> uh, the, the, the adversary did it. It's fine. It's right. whatever. Yeah. That is how they fix it. They say the adversary did it. I didn't, I didn't hate that to be honest. So we haven't talked yet about Bianchi's art, which is just as much of a, a huge part of whether you're going to enjoy this story as the convoluted story. So I want to hear your take on Bianchi because it's, it's an interesting style. I like Simone Bianchi. I like the layouts. I think the draftsmanship is really good. I don't like how Bianchi is colored in this by Simone Peruzzi. I think the, I think the coloring really I'm not against the style of the coloring because it is very stylized and I think that works. I think I think some of the coloring choices uh one take away some dynamicism from the art, flattens it out. It's got that it's got like it's got that gun pol- gunmetal polish that like X-Force of this era also had. Things are very shiny and, and it's, cloudy. It's it's a very Gears of War looking book for people of that exact era when the two colors in the palette were brown and also gray. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's rare that I see an artist who on any given page can draw something that I am just amazed by and think looks really good. Uh, especially the way, uh, Bianchi draws beast, I think is really fantastic. Um, at the same time on the same exact page, he will draw a face, or an expression or someone's nipples in a way that just pulls you completely out of the story so that you go, wait, what am I looking at? This looks crazy. It's a weird mix. I tend to be, I, I like, I like Bianchi. I think I would like to see, I I like more of Bianchi's work. I'll say that. Uh, I think there's, I think there is, I think there's some challenges with parts of this arc. Uh, especially the art. I think it's it's very hot and cold for me, just like you're saying. I love the layouts, but I'm a sucker for non-traditional layouts. Well, that is one of the interesting things that he does. And I think sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes it is to the story's benefit to kind of do some off-kilter things here. Um, in other cases, he uses negative space in a really interesting way. But in some cases, it's just for style. So he may have the uh, contours of a character's head uh, intersecting with another panel and then there's negative white space there, but it doesn't make sense with the other panel that it's jutting into. So it's, it's again, tricky. I'm not sure how much of that is coloring versus no, it's, it's his clearly, actual lines. No, I think it's a clear choice. Uh, the way, well, I, I mean, how, not, how the intersection works or doesn't work. Like to me, that's something that you would need. You would need a very heavy hand in terms of contrast. Yeah where you don't necessarily get that in this book. Yeah. So I, I think I'm a little bit on the fence about the art. Uh, some, like I said, sometimes I think it's brilliant. Sometimes I'm like, this is really wonky. Um, and the story is interesting to a point, but it's also super convoluted. So here's my problem, Adam. Yeah. Hate the dialogue. I, I legitimately ah. dislike the dialogue. He's that. trying to do Whedon a little bit. Did you know? No, he's that? trying to do Ward Ellis is what he's trying to do. No, no, That's no. But, and I'm not saying he's not, but at the same time, he's also trying to do the whole like quirky female sidekick thing. Right. Which, you know, I, I understand he's, he's, he's done this before. Um, but there's an element of the way that he di- does dialogue for armor, for instance, that definitely one feels of the worst reminiscent of what Whedon is doing with the book. And th- she spends the entire arc complaining about her code name. And it's supposed to be funny, I guess. It's not. It is, which is weird because it was actually a big moment. And one of the moments that, in my opinion, works a lot about that last arc of Josh Whedon and... John Cassidy's astonishing where armor picks her name and she says, this is my name, right? This is the one I am going to choose. It's not a kitty pride moment when we're like, kitty, you're being dumb and silly. That's played very straight as a affirming moment for her as a character. Yeah. And I, it feels weird that 
Ellis is doing that. I, Ellis's Emma, in my opinion, is everyone's worst tendencies of writing Emma in this era where she is, she is all evil, but happens to be on the good time. Like they write her with the same level of malice that like Cassandra Nova is written in the current Marauders. Hmm. And I don't like that. Also, Scott Summers does say a cuss really loud and said, I will cut your head off for no reason. He's arguing with Abigail, Abigail Brandon, like turns on a dime. He is just like absolutely screaming for no reason. It's just as bad as when in dark Phoenix, Scott Summers says he's going to, he's going to effing kill somebody. (laughs) That's all I could think about. I was like, okay, I guess dark Phoenix was pulling from somewhere. You're talking about the movie, not the comic book. For yes, the movie, the movie where Scott <laughs> Summers tells who does he tell? It's uh, Celine, technically, and also the fighty guy from sure. Who, who knows? Some, who's some random extras across the street in New York. <laughs> it's a bad comic. That one's yeah. bad. Uh, I just I hate the dialogue in this. It's it's Whedon or it's it's it's. Uh, the stuff I don't like isn't necessarily the stuff that's aping weed in. It's stuff that is Warren Ellis's ticks that I've not ever particularly loved where he writes like he's smarter than you. Mm. But then you read it and you're like, what? <laughs> Does this actually make sense? To is this anyone? something someone would say? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I think Warren Ellis is a incredibly talented dude. He's a creep. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, if we hadn't said it, get it out of the way. Yeah, we know. We yeah. know. If you don't know, so many of us.com go Warren Ellis sucks. Uh, Just Whedon also sucks. There is a high dudes who suck quotient on the first 30 issues of uh, Astonishing. And then Daniel Way comes in, who, to my knowledge, doesn't suck as a person, but he is a really terrible writer. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Well, let's try and rank this. Um, I think I might have liked this a little bit more than you, but where do we rank things, Zach? Uh, On our big old list of all the X-Men stories of all time that we are ranking from best to worst. In fact, Adam, we have 705 stories on this list. That's a lot of stories. Yeah, I mean, buddy, we're on the road to 800. We're going to get there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We're on that road again. I can't wait to get back on on that road again. Hoxbox is number one on that list. I did not hit the page down button. That's what I needed to hit. X-Men Alpha Flight's at 100. 200 is the quest for magic from new X-Men. Number 300 on our list is Deadpool the Circle Chase. Number 400 on our list is The Hunt for Xavier uh, from Uncanny X-Men. This is from like 1998. Y'all can, you know. Or you don't, and that's fine too. Number 500 is Cataclysm Ultimate X-Men. Number 600 on this list is uh, The Gladiator's Arc of New Mutants. Uh, Number 700 on this list is X-Force Volume 2, X-Force and Cable, The Legend Returns. Uh, And 705 is the Draco. All right. So at 509, I have the London Hellfire Club Arc of Excalibur highlighted. This is better than that. I think this is better than that. But I don't think we're that much higher into the 400s here. I was looking at the 400s. And part of me is like, maybe it could go higher. But then here's my problem, Adam. Yeah. At 498, I do see Weapon X, the draft Sauron, which is a better comic than this. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but go ahead. Okay. Here's the, at 494 is Wolverine enemy of the state, which right. is a better comic than this. I That's would agree. for sure. Yeah. It's not going, I would say, that. I would say Weapon X, the draft. I would also personally say that X-Men, the end, uh, men and X-Men. Is better than this. I'm sorry. Stanley presents colon X Men colon the end colon book three colon Men and X Men <laughs> at five oh five. I got to give it the full title. We know it deserves that respect. I think that's better, but I can appreciate the opinion that maybe it's not. I I I will give this story enough credit. I think this is more coherent, but we definitely have our window here. We know we're in this this ten uh, line. So, do you think this is better than Wolverine and Jubilee? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you um, think it's better than Cataclysm Ultimate X-Men at 500? Because it's probably better than the time Havoc and Thor uh, teamed up. We're in Marvel team up. up. Six, nine, yeah. Seven. I mean, yeah, we it's could just spot than... it below Weapon X, the draft Sauron. That's fine. That's where me. I want to put it. All right, let's, let's do that. So this will be our new 499. That's Ghost Box, baby. Yeah. We maybe talked about that longer than it was actually interesting. But this is not, <laughs> just to be clear, there is a explicit story called <sighs> Astonishing X-Men colon Ghost Boxes, which is completely unrelated. This is just 25 to 30, not not that other thing. 
not the one shot of ghost boxes, <laughs> uh, which is about different times that there were ghost boxes. Oh, that's so nice. Need to get one of those. All of these ghost box stories are Warren Ellis stories, except for Extreme X-Men Volume 2, number one. Well, it seems like a fun idea. I mean, people should. Oh, Astonishing X-Men Ghost Boxes came out in between uh, this. Whatever. It's they're 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 like one shots about different universes. Okay. Well, we should talk about some other times the Beast did very bad things, and um, I don't think know. Beast murders any more people than he does in this astonishing story. I do believe that is the most genocide Beast has done. I mean, it's pretty rough. Uh, he Everyone he, gives Phoenix such a hard time about it. Beast did also <laughs> destroy a planet. Everybody's just like, good, you did what you had to do. And that is the same uh, thing that happens in this next story. People are always. Wait, can we talk of- about one more thing about that astonishing story? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't want to. Don't want to leave that yet. Go we ahead. can't not talk about this. I think it's weird how Cavalier Scott is about. Yeah. Sometimes we got to kill people. It's fine. It happens. Oh. It's a very authority, very Stormwatch, Warren Ellis approach to the X-Men, which I understand that Scott was taking a hardline approach, and I understand that Scott was running X-Force at the time. But also, it seems weird for him to be like, sometimes you just got to do a a very large-scale murder. Yeah, he's also kind of mansplaining it to Storm, who's like, wait a minute, we don't do that. And Psycho's like, oh, no, 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 we do, we do. That's that's our thing now. I feel like he could be like, (laughs) Storm, I know you stabbed multiple people in the heart. So let's 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 chill it with from you. Armor's one thing. Aurora, right. you're my friend. I love you. You stabbed a lot of people. Yeah. So like we said, Beast definitely has his enablers. And uh, you know, people are always talking about the good old days when Beast was an Avenger. This next story is a Beast is an Avenger story. What is it, Zach? Uh it's Secret Avenger 16, Subland Empire. Uh, it's written again by Warren Ellis with pencils on this one shot by Jimmy McKelvey. Yes. Inked by Matt Wilson. And who's doing colors on this? I don't know. Uh, Dave Lamphere. There we go. Thank you. So what's up with this team? They're... So the Secret Avengers. <laughs> do you remember You remember in Civil War how at the end of Civil War, Cap gets shot by a bullet? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, that bullet sent him through time. Yep. Then he came back from time. Uh, in not fear itself, in just some other time that Red Skull took over the world. I'm sorry, I haven't read all of the Brubaker Captain America in a in a spell. It's probably close to ten years now. Hey, you you know more about this than I do. I haven't read any. Here's the here's the trick. I actually think Ed Brubaker, who's an who's a creator, I really do enjoy in general. He does not get a good rep on this podcast. Ed Brubaker is also up there for wrote a lot of wrote a good chunk of X Men. None of it was good. Category of writers. <laughs> Uh, Ed Brubaker does not, in my opinion, write a very good Steve Rogers. He writes a great Bucky, but his Steve Rogers, which is carried here, is very much America's cop. Like, oh, yeah. And people wouldn't be like, oh, Captain America is not a cop. In the Ed Brubaker run, he's kind of a cop, guys. <laughs> it was post 9-11. We were all going through a lot. He is kind of a cop in that one. And he's kind of a cop here where he's running S.H.I.E.L.D. You can't run S.H.I.E.L.D. and not be a cop. Absolutely. And he has this uh, this team uh secret i imagine that is him at least here and this issue is uh is captain america beast black widow and moon knight and love me some moon knight they have discovered an underground city pretty exciting i really love the ohio representation that this comic gives because (laughs) what we find out is three miles underneath cincinnati the secret empire has set up a large city which secret empire is act? This is not the latest secret empire. This is it's the one that Nixon was running. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's like a full fledged, you know, city. They've got highways and byways and and skyscrapers and stone monoliths, and it's it's pretty wild. Um, they realize very quickly that the secret empire is down here and you know willing to shoot at them, and they also realized very quickly they got uh, a pretty nasty evil plan to use the Dr. Doom time platform, except as big as the city to just pick up Cincinnati and throw it into the past onto some other city. Yeah. They're well, what they're going to do is take their secret empire city 
And since time machines are also space machines because the Earth's always moving, uh, they're just going to use the space part and not even worry that much about the time part and just put their city on top of Cincinnati. Right. They're going to just squish them. <laughs> Which, listen, listen, listen. The way the Bengals have been playing, they deserve it. I know they just <laughs> went to the Super Bowl last year, but that kind of makes it worse because they got a boneheaded head coach who doesn't know what he's doing out there. They've got a generational talent. They cannot get that many incredible players under cap space, but they can't make good good moves to save their lives. So maybe they do deserve to get a little bit of squishy squishy. Oh man. None of my family lives in Cincinnati anymore. They, wait, no, not my cousin lives in Cincinnati. No, we can't squish. You just squished your cousin. That's terrible. And the entire sorry, Rose. city. Cincinnati, Rose, I'm so sorry. All of our Cincinnati listeners are just like, no, we're not listening to Boda anymore. Scott um, wants to squish I feel us. like, I feel like <laughs> Boda is a pro skyline podcast and therefore <laughs> Cincinnati listeners would actually really appreciate it. Here's the things that Boda is known for thinking that Kings Island is kind of better than Cedar point as being an overall amusement park, even though we can concede that Cedar point has larger roller coasters though. Let's be clear. The loss of top throw dragster really brings down Cedar points ranking. That was quite the aside, Zach. Uh, did we mention that Captain America is shooting a gun filled with little shields that are like uh, dipped in neurotoxin and, and shooting them at people like very uncappy? Why wouldn't he just use a bullet? Don't know. I mean, at that point, you might as well. Like you're actually using biochemical warfare. <laughs> you are doing a war crime gun instead of a regular gun. So this is Beast's first, uh, you know sin here is that he designed this weapon um he did not give one to moon knight because moon knight is a quote-unquote crazy person hold on that's fair <laughs> i love moon knight he's a hundred percent in the right on that one um so this happens very quickly they do find a car what's, what's the car the car's powered by something that's important to the story though a nu- it's a nuclear car. Yes, it's a nuclear car. So when they finally realize what's going on, they have about like five minutes to solve this situation. And the the solution is very uh, quickly assessed by uh, Mr. Hank McCoy. He, he's going to basically develop a, a nuke that's going to take out this entire secret empire um, city. And they got to book it out of there as quickly as they possibly can before it goes off yeah so hank does design and set off a nuclear weapon killing at minimum hundreds of people likely thousands yeah uh and we are left with the final two panels in which hank and the team goes up a uh the the same ceiling elevator they went through and, and asks how many people did i just kill to which captain america replies how many people did you just save you're a clever man. Do the math. It'll help you sleep. Enabler. It's just Adam. As we all know, the ends do justify the means. And Captain America is all about that. Captain America would never care about the means for which something is achieved as long as it came to good ends. <laughs> this is why this is why it's impossible to say what a comic book character would or wouldn't do. Because here's the thing. You can find we've been doing this for 50 plus years. You can find a panel of someone doing pretty much anything. Mm. Yep. That's all it is. You can, you can say, oh, Captain America wouldn't do it, but he did. In mm. whether Warren Ellis wrote this out of character or not, doesn't matter. It still happened. It's canon, baby. It's uh, canon. The good and the bad here. <laughs> what do you think of Jamie McKelvey's art? I don't feel like we've we've had an opportunity to talk about McKelvey on the show before. We have, because we did first Oh, we class. did. We did first. Yes. Okay. We're not first class. Season one. Uh, season one. Right. Uh, I like McKelvey as an artist in general. I don't particularly love McKelvey on this one, mostly because I don't like Jamie McKelvey's beast at all. Anytime he's ever drawn beast and he's drawn beast a fair amount. I feel like he has a really good, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with McKelvey's art and you should be uh, super clean. Um, Very clean. Inked by, by Wilson. And um, this cap looks great. Black Widow looks great. Uh, Moon Knight looks fantastic. Beast, he looks like he's out of a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and not in the animated, X-Men animated Wait, series. Wait, did you though. say inked by Wilson? No, he's colored by Wilson. And I colored think by Wilson. We, accident- we accidentally said that earlier. No, he does digital. Jamie I works digitally. Apologize. Mixing that up. But Beast looks weird, right? Like he looks Beast like he's... always uh, looks weird when Jamie McKelvey's drawing him. He's like a, a Thundercat. <laughs> it's just... 
it throws me off. Yeah. Uh, again, McKelvey in general, beautiful issue. It's just his beast is weird. It's just he doesn't have that one gelling with his style. Guys, it looks like, let's be honest. It looks like he's doing furry art in the middle of it and not in the <laughs> not in the way that, yeah, get it. Beast is blue and furry. No, it looks like um, it looks like someone's going to be yiffing later. And that's uh, that's just it's just not the aesthetic that this super cool Avengers comic is going for. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, you know, Beast is in a in an unfamiliar costume. His head looks very strange. The proportions are weird. Um, this is this is here's the thing that bothers me a little bit about Beast. In yeah. his character arc. Yeah. This is exactly what Beast does after he leaves Utopia. He's so mad at Cyclops for all this stuff. And he's like, I'm going to join the Assassin Avengers. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm going to do about it. Oh, I'm going to go to my old friends, the Avengers. You're training children to be bad. I'm going to go kill people. Okay. Give them neurotoxin <laughs> guns. <laughs> I built a neurotoxin gun and a nuke. Guys, that's the thing. Beast has done so many so many crimes. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, so this furry one, and lovable. This one just feels like very nonchalant. You know, he does seem to have a, a little bit of remorse for it, but at the same time, Captain America's right there to pat him on the back. So Captain um, America's like, don't worry about it. I do like how this is plotted. Like, I am on record to be a big fan of Ellis and De- Declan Shalvey's uh, Moon Knight run, mm-hmm. which this has a lot of the same DNA with. Uh, uh, the one and done, quick action, big artist showcase. That's here in the Secret Avengers. I yeah. like that part. Yeah, it, it, this is a, a nice action set piece. It's very quick. It, you, you know, it, it reads crisp and clean. Um, you're in and out of this environment, and you know, it's it's like a bottle episode. Um, so I don't think it really feels important per se or or, or meaningful, but at the same time, I, I think it's pretty well done. Um, how do like, you I think? That- yeah, Go ahead. Better, better or worse than Ghost Boxes. Oh, ghost this is boxes. way better than Ghost Boxes, in my opinion. Like, this okay. is a good comic. Okay. How far up are you talking here? I don't or... know. Like, this is better than X-Babies at 393. The X-Babies mini? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that, that seems high. <laughs> X-Babies Listen, seems high. <laughs> we, make, we make choices on this podcast. How do you feel about it compared to 354, Savage Avengers, The City of Sickles? Oh, geez. I think I, I, think I liked that better. Um, and it's not as, as good as underneath that was weapon X saber tooth and charge. Um, where that's where Omega red gets his tiger, isn't it? It is where Omega red. Yeah. Gets his I would say this is better than dark rain, the list or dark rain colon, the list dash Wolverine number one, which yeah, okay. is where Wolverine and Mar or Marvel boy and phantom X defeat weapon 16 with the power of atheism right yep she's jason aaron never change (laughs) never change so this is gonna be our new 356 yeah it is and here's our last one you were talking about a comic that's kind of insignificant and kind of kind of just there this comic right here is brian michael bendis trying to get a lot of people paid Hey, and and good for him. I remember when this came out. This is all new X-Men number 25 uh, that advertises, what, the best art team com- combo of all time? Or what? what is what is it advertising? This, this is pretty high up in general in terms of overall all art teams ever. Because here's sure. what you got. You got Dave Marquez. You got Bruce Timm. You got Art Adams. You got David Mack. You got Robert Rodriguez. You got Lee Bermejo. You got Kent Williams. J.G. Jones. Uh, you got Dan Hip, you got Joe Thompson, you got Paul Smith is up in here, Scotty Young, uh, J. Scott Campbell, Max Witter from the uh, Scott and Gene mm-hmm. uh, web comics of the era. We should rank those. <laughs> that would be fun. What one would be the highest one? Would it be the one where Jean Grey says to Jubilee that they could replace her that, with the Fourth of July? That's the one like, I was thinking of. Yes, <laughs> that one. That one's pretty darn good. I kind of want to read all of those again. What happens in this comic? Adam? Wait, wait, wait! Did you finish the list? Is that the whole? That's Bob Wyachek's on here. Jordy Belair. Did we get everybody? Okay, and there's a couple of variant uh, covers here. So we are catching up with beast. Who's just feeling uh, very guilty about having bring it brought the O five into the present. And uh, he's visited in his sleepless night by a trench coat figure who 
kind of, I guess, at a, during a lightning strike appears to look like Professor X, like the ghost of it's Professor X. It's a bald X. guy. It's a bald it's guy. A bald that's, guy. That's, all, that's all we see. And, it's got uh, a real Christmas Carol vibe to it. Sure. Yes. Um, and it's got, you know, him being like, oh, the change you forged in life. <laughs> so uh, this, this bald ghost visitor um, starts to talk to Beast as Beast is laying there sleepless. And we get about 30 pages worth of pinups that are supposed to be a story. They're not supposed to be a story. Here's what it is. It's uh, the bald guys who watch through the watcher. Right. Oh, we're going to spoil that now. Okay. Yes. Where, yeah, you guys, this comic's been out for like. Oh, I just years. thought we might say it like after we talked about the, the pinups. So yes, the bald guy. It's a watch through the watcher. A watch through the watcher who is coming. You know, from, from Disney from Disney Plus's <laughs> television show, What If? Yes. Uh, one and the same. So each one of these pages is another potential future uh, for the X-Men. Um, yep. And it starts somewhat coherently because he goes through what the O5 could become if they stay in this timeline. Once he gets past that, all bets are off. It doesn't make a damn bit of sense. And we're basically just hiring artists to do whatever they want. It's, it, you know what? I just went to uh, this convention over the weekend with Dan Grote of, of uh, our, our sister podcast, WMQNA, uh, and, and Matt of Bat Chat. And I picked up a copy of, do you remember Millennial Visions? Adam, do I remember Millennial Visions? Not only do I remember Millennial Visions, I remember Millennial Visions 2001. That's the, the one. The sequel I, to Millennial Visions. That's the one I picked up. And it really reminded, this issue reminds me of that. So for folks who don't remember Millennial Visions, it was basically just, hey, do you, here's an artist who did like some wacky alternate reality X-Men. Pitch for the X-Men, yeah. And then we'll write something up on the other side of the page. That's exactly what this is, except they're trying to tie it into a single issue. There's some great pinups though. Uh, oh yeah. Just in terms of the pinups, I really do love the Libra Mayho one of uh, Colossus with the soul sword and a big gun. <laughs> He's sort of half, half cable, half Ileana. Yeah. It kind of rules. I like I like the uh, I like the David Mack uh, stuff uh, as in the Kent Williams the David Mack Cyclops and the Kent Williams Emma pages are really good. There's a great Bruce Tim Jean Grey thing. I like the two page Ileana and Kitty uh, spread, which I do not remember who the artist is on that. So I'm not sure. Is that J.G. Jones? That's not J.G. Jones. I'm not sure, but it is gorgeous. I should know this. You know, but there's such a mishmash of styles. So, like, out of nowhere, you've got a, you know, a J. Scott Campbell pinup with, like, X-Men in space. And then it's immediately followed by some indie comics. And Yeah, that's the wild thing. There is a, uh, what, like a Joe Thompson comic and then a, uh, then that Max Witter comic. Yeah, there's. Those the, are weird. Right? And, like, they, they abandon the narration completely and just, like, allow these, like, weird, funny, one-liner, you know, Sunday comic-style things to pop in here. And uh, it is a damn mess, Zach. <laughs> it's a mess. This is not... This is not a coherent narrative. No, there is there is an opening by Dave Marquez and a closing by Dave Marquez and a lot of pretty pictures in between that each one of those artists probably got four figures for on the aftermarket selling selling those pages at least. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, they they got Art Adams to do three pages of sequential art, which is probably one of the last two times he did that professionally before he, you know. Switched over completely to covers. Yeah, this is this is late, late Art Adams. Uh, yeah, um, and again, doesn't make a lot of sense. There is a truly terrible Alex Ross piece in this. Uh, that's not Alex Ross. That is the JG Jones piece. Oh, uh, why? Did that's I what I was thinking. Alex Ross. Okay, because it, because it kind of looks like Alex Ross. No, that's JG Jones. I think Morris Wicks did the yeah Morris Wicks did the uh, Kitty and Eliana two pager that you're talking about. Oh, okay, yeah, that's absolutely gorgeous. Um. I always thought this was an Alex Ross piece. It, it's not. If you look at it, you can tell that it's not Alex Ross. Like if you look close enough, it doesn't look like sweaty old men in costumes. <laughs> friends, Again, friends in photo reference. <laughs> to be to be a hundred percent clear, I have 
Fantastic Four Full Circle just came into my library's inner library loan. Uh, I finally got in line to pick that up. So I am all for reading some Alex Ross comics. But he does draw people like they're sweaty old men in superhero costumes. I just saw, apparently, you know that big um, variant cover uh, connecting thing that he did where it was all the individual characters. Sure. It's like a wall size mural. Apparently you can buy, it's expensive though. It was like 25 bucks, but you can buy a six foot wide poster of that. Uh, it's like a 2023 calendar. I'm very, very. Dude, uh, the dude tempted. sells the fact though. The fact that the worst use of Alex Ross art, if I may be so bold, is that uh, one of the covers or the main cover to the uh, collected edition uh, in I believe it's in paperback of Matt Fraction, David Aha's Hawkeye is a classic costume Alex Ross Hawkeye on there. That and that's make sense. That's the wrong vibe for that book. Yeah. You already have in literally the best covers in the business. <laughs> no one no one's done better than those Hawkeye covers. That's a problem. Uh we do get I believe the first indication or suggestion of Ileana as the sorcerer supreme. Um, yes, that is in this one. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of cool. What did you think of the the Dan Hip piece where we get the the mashups of like X Men kids and like one of them is like Colossus meets Maggot? I think that I think it's a very fun little piece, <laughs> and that's exactly the thing. I mean, even that one, if you just look at it by itself, it's a mock cover of Giant Size X Men. Like it, but no, but it does have Marvel Snap artist Dan Hip. Uh, all over it it does um and you know some of these are you know pinups some of them are mock covers you know like that j scott campbell thing has j scott campbell variant cover all over it uh they did funniest thing about that one they did cover up his signature with the word balloon i loved that caption box (laughs) i cracked up because it's not like it's a dense page vc's Corey petite had to know what he was doing. There. Oh yeah. He's a no. professional. He made a choice to be like, and screw you, J Scott Cable. Well, yeah. Or editorial said we can't have a signature, which doesn't make sense because this is an artist showcase. They would do. They, I, I can't imagine Nick Lowe would have said, we got to hide that signature because they I don't, don't hide it well enough. Yeah. I got to believe either Corey Petit was as rushed as he's ever been, or he was like, I yeah. am not moving this over <laughs> two centimeters. Yeah. So um, I think the only thing that really doesn't, I mean, the uh, bookends that start and end the, or start middle end of the story with, with the watcher coming down to basically like give beast the finger is, is fine. You know, like we know that part of the point of this run is for beast to be having this, you know, this character arc, but it does strike me as very odd that this was not just a standalone artistic you know showcase special and was one of the issues in the series because it's not a story it's not but in the reason why i picked this it does have an incredible incredible burn on beast that has never been topped the watcher right at the end says i came here to tell you because of you none of these things will ever happen a myriad of realities that you have destroyed dr mccoy you have guaranteed that happiness and love and respect and adventure that you crave for your friends may never happen. And then Beast is like, then help me. Help me put it back. Help me. I am the Watcher. I do not act. Lie, Uatu. Giant lie, but <laughs> go back. And you disgust me, Hank McCoy. The Watcher comes down from the moon to do nothing but screw with Hank McCoy while he's sleeping. And I love that so much. That's what I said. It's the, such a pure thing. The bookends of the story do work. It's a funny little, like, you know, tragic uh, little short for, for Beast. But, you know, as an issue, you know, and I get it. Like, it's supposed to be. So, What does it say on the cover? Is it supposed to be? Uh, the monumental 25th issue. Yeah, yeah. Featuring the greatest artist roster ever assembled whatever the quote-unquote occasion is um it just it, it, it just doesn't feel right like it's very strange and it's a very different thing than uncanny x-men 600 where again you had a group of artists but they were all telling this story that was going through that issue and it it, it you know it's always a little bit strange when you have a variety of artists telling the same story but this one it's just not even trying 
Like it, it feels to me like Bendis got the art and then was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> See, no, no. I honestly think Bendis scripted out the dialogue, broke it out into pages roughly and said, or while he was scripting it, he had reached out to guys and say, Hey, I got one page. I got two pages for it. What do you want to draw? Here's the here's the pitch. It's here's all the adventures the X-Men could have, but won't. What do you want to draw? I can see and that. And then I think he I think he took it because Bendis is an artist's writer. He truly is. I gotta believe that Bendis was like, okay, this is what you want to draw. Let's go. I don't have a problem with that. And it makes for some really good art. It's just a bad comic. Is it a it's a bad narrative? I don't know if it's a bad comic. I enjoyed flipping through this. I was like, yeah. Yeah, this is cool. This looks great. Yeah, I guess I guess it's whether I want to take it on its own terms. You know what I mean? Like, if I want to take it as part of the series, I think it's really weird. Uh, if I want to just treat it as, okay, this is just a standalone fun experiment and we're going to put all this, you know, I can be on board for that. I enjoy a lot of the artwork that's here. Here's my question, because we have another one of those. Uh, at 360, we have X-Men Gold 213, which is... Uh, compilation a bunch of artists and writers coming back right or worse than that i think this is worse i don't think this is as successful you know that's fair i i I don't think the mission statement is is very clear here on what it is trying to do this probably isn't as good as the first issue of x-men ever um we have that at 385 oh no i'm looking lower than that i feel like we're definitely in the 400s here don't you um Maybe let's add the 400, 400. Yeah. I mean, this is probably, yeah. Um, I mean, remember that time that X-Men fought Rom and there was that little, yeah, kid? that's better. That's like, come better. on. That was cool. That's at 409. Like we're in the 400s here. Yeah. This isn't as good as Exiles time breakers. Uh, I would say this is better than the 2005 age of apocalypse. Okay. Okay. I can get, and, 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 uh, is it better or worse than the first six? It's worse than the first six issues of district deck. So this will be our new four. 32. What a great episode. <laughs> a lot of weird stuff in this one. Yeah. Beast, you've done some weird things. Uh, but what I think is not weird and is in fact great is guys like Robert Masella or Masasia who have gone over to patreon.com slash comics XF done the thing I said at the beginning. If you want to be like Robert, go be like Robert. Adam, what do you got hey. going on? Uh, folks, you can still pick up a copy of uh, the comic book that I made with Marcelo Biot. It is called black square it is a one-shot uh sci-fi horror psychological weird thing um you can go to adamrec.gumroad.com um adam i got a note for you here probably should have called that ghost box (laughs) but that's not what it is um but i like it's a ghosty box yeah no spoilers but um so check that out I would tell you to check me out on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, but God knows how many days that is still going to be a, a going. If concern. Twitter still exists. Yeah. You know, as long as it still exists at Arthur Stacy will be there. And Zach, what do you got going on? Nothing. Nothing. No. Well, you, you, you hyped up your stuff earlier. That's good. Oh, I already, I, I already I, did. I, forgot I already did mine. I, I did, did, uh, did some more Andor coverage. So if you've been enjoying that show, uh, been covering, on and off like every other episode or so with uh, Austin Gordon. That's been a lot of fun. All right. I'm sorry. Back to you. I've got nothing. All right. So I've got nothing. I've got it? maybe taking some cold medicine. Yeah. You, you sound a little sniffly. I got some sniffles. My kids were sick this weekend. It's fine. Uh, hope everybody's okay. What are we doing next week, Zach? Well, that's to be determined, Adam. I was going <laughs> to talk to you about that off air. TBD. Because we uh, have been busy the last few weeks and have not filled out what our episode our look of Mike. All but right. until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. Oh, wait. Did you have more? No. Sorry, Adam. Just say the thing. We hope you survived the experience. Get 